Hello, everyone. Hoping you're all well. Matt Egan, Editorial Director of Strategy Next. Thanks so much for joining us again to the Strategy Next podcast. Um, so thrilled to be here and uh, looking at some really interesting content. Now, guys, what I'm going to have to ask for you to do today is to get a bit of a visual because we're presenting uh, some recordings, but it's from a specific section of a, of a webinar which we ran with Dropbox Business. Now, I wanted to just flip this into a podcast because I think that the Q&A component of this is super, super solid in terms of how people should be looking at security with respect to workplace innovation and collaboration. So Dropbox does a lot of work in this space and a lot of work looking at the future of workplace technology and how people are interna- interacting with each other via technologies. Um, so some really good messaging and uh, a really good actual piece if, if you're interested in focus and sort of how you can sort of get your employees to drive a little bit more focus into their workflow. Um, Dropbox has some sensational thought leadership on that. Uh, but anyway, I digress. This one's around the future of secure collaboration. And what I want you to do is um, just visualize that you've listened to the best part of the webinar uh, whilst we then jump into a bit of a Q&A with both of the speakers. So Rajan Kapoor, Director of Security from Dropbox. Um, so he's out of the US. And James Murphy, a solution architect at Dropbox APJ. So guys, we're going to jump into that Q&A component. Um, and I do hope you enjoy because I thought it was really, really interesting. The first one, um, I'll probably put that through to Rajan first, and then James, I might, might get your observations as well. Um, so this one is, can, can you, so you spoke a little bit, Rajan, about that zero trust. Um, do, you, do you think that this, this is a, a strategic approach all organ, organizations should take, uh, this zero trust policy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, the, the days of sitting behind a, a firewall in a corporate office um, have, have passed us. Uh, you, you have to publish services uh, that are available over the internet to your employees, and you have to assume your employees are coming back to your services uh, from anywhere in the world. And so today, just having a position on your network is no longer a good indicator of trust of that employee. And so, yeah, I, I believe it's it's absolutely something that all organizations should take a look at, uh, and and the concepts are are, are fairly straightforward. Um, just because you get access to one area of the network does not mean that you should um, automatically have access to the entire network or the entire infrastructure that that you've landed on. And authorization and authentication should occur repeatedly, and they should absolutely occur before access to any sensitive systems are are, um, are provided. At Dropbox, we require engineers to two-factor authenticate anytime they're going into uh, a sensitive area of our code base or a sensitive um, system that that we we feel needs to needs to be um, adequately protected from from an attacker. Uh, and and so yeah, I would look at the concepts of zero trust and see how you could roll that out on your own on your own network. And and Rajan, where where would you advise that sits? Would would that sit within the CIO function or, or security? Do you have any observations around sort of how that's built out as a blueprint? Yeah, it really requires your um, your IT architects and your security team to to work together. You need your your architects to uh, help the security team um, identify the 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 
points at which someone could move laterally, an attacker could move laterally across the network. And then you need your security team to provide the adequate controls to, um, uh, to protect those, the, 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 different, um, the different points on your infrastructure. Uh, so I think it is a, it is a collaboration between, um, between IT and, and security to get this done right. Oh, brilliant. And James, I might just bring you off mute now. Um, yeah. I've got a question from, from Dominic. So James, welcome. Um, does Dropbox support document type tagging to facilitate aging and automated uh, management? Uh, deletion to drive compliance and uh, retention of policy, uh, retention policies. I'm not sure if I've I've read that out. I apologise, Dominic. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a question around the supporting of, of tagging and uh, to to um, monitor compliance and and retention. Yeah, I, I can see the question. That's a really oh, great. Uh, thanks for the question, Dominic. Um, it's a good one. It's 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 something we're starting to invest in more. Um, we've obviously for a while. Um, obviously, through our search engines and stuff, we're, we're trying to work on tagging for a couple of reasons. Um, from a user perspective, for them trying to actually find stuff easier, so having a look around how can we do like image recognition, and we just rolled out automatic OCRing for all images and PDFs last year. So that's more on the end user point of view. I think um, you're taking the IT lens here, which is that with that tagging, how can we kind of know... Um, whether like you know this documentation should be like ephemeral or evergreen, how do we know um, when we can actually work on retention? So it is something we're looking at right now. It's it's not there, but um, I'm sure Rajan will back me up in terms of this kind of metadata journey is something um, we're looking at a lot, and we're trying to see what what we can do from an end user point of view. So how do we support like user tagging and um, which can be and um, can kind of help that retention and compliance as well. And then how do we look at kind of system generated tagging? So what can we kind of work out from a document? How do we know given the type of content, what kind of security classification should that be and kind of use that to drive workflows? So um, I would say, yeah, we're, we're early on the journey, but we, we do kind of recognize the importance of it. Uh, yeah, and, and and just to add to that, um, we do by our API. You could you you can determine the age of a document and um, implement automatic deletion of of um, or following retention policies that you have today. Um, and we've also rolled out. Uh, we, we we will recognize and present the uh, metadata of uh, several document types. Like for example, Microsoft Office. If you have metadata that you tag to that Office document before you uploaded it to Dropbox. We do now um, store and present some of that to you. Uh, so, so yeah, you, you would be able to do what you're you're asking for here, which is find documents that are past a certain age and um, uh, and 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 delete them uh, or or follow some sort of retention policy. Uh, but we're working on extending that me- the metadata tagging capabilities to support more advanced workflows. Brilliant. And and guys, um, I I really like that whole idea around ad- adoption, uh, improving security. I guess it's a concept that's not considered as much um, as 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 sort of you know f- driving uh, a secure network, and then, and then thinking about adoption sort of after that. Um, but that whole concept. Um, this question comes from Sam. Um, in terms of driving a a culture of security, uh, what kind of advice would you would you have? So if if you're looking at sort of I guess creating a blueprint of, of what a secure um, environment looks like. Um, how would you approach sort of driving, uh, creating that conversation? Uh, sure. So it, it, there's a couple of things that go into creating a culture of security. The first is, um, you know, one of the corporate values we here, have here at, at, at Dropbox is um, 
be worthy of trust. It's, and we call it value one. We want to make sure that every action we're taking, every decision we're making um, is worthy of the trust of our users. And that um, absolutely includes making sure we're, make, we're doing the right things when it comes to securing your data. And, and not just your data, data, but also metadata, the information about you. We want to make sure we're um, securing your data and, and maintaining your privacy. Um, on the security culture side, we take a couple of approaches. We recognize that our, our security team cannot be everywhere at all times. So on the product side, what we do is we work with our engineering and product teams to help them understand how to threat model, to help them understand how to um, think like security engineers, and most importantly, to help them understand that, you know, when you don't know something, come and ask us. Uh, and we call those consultative sessions. You know, you, we, we don't want someone coming and asking us the same question twice. We want to make sure that the first time they ask us that question, they walk away with the knowledge of why our answer is our answer. The second thing we do is um, we run continuous programs here uh, at Dropbox. Uh, we we um, educate our employees on uh, emerging threats, on um, the threat landscape. What you know, mm -hmm. what what has the attention of um, the security industry right now, and and we educate them on how to protect themselves, on on what, why things like two factor authentication isn't just a good idea at at work, but it's a good idea at home as well. Hmm. And then once a year, we, we run a, uh, it's actually just coming up next month, we, we run a program called Trust Over, which is a global program that we run. Wow. Uh, yep. Across all of our, uh, across all of our offices. And, um, and we uh, have speakers come in from the security community. We have our own uh, security engineering teams speak. We have Dropboxers who um, have uh, their own, you know, have, have ex experience in, in the security world, get up and speak. Uh, and we, we run fun activities and really educate our employees um, through interactive month-long sessions uh, on, on, you know, how to be better, um, how just how to be better at security, really. So it's a holistic program. It's making sure you're getting your employees to think um, as, like security uh, engineers. Uh, and it's also helping educate them on emerging threats and then testing them continuously, like I said, with the phishing program. Yeah, brilliant. It's so good to hear about, you know, trust over and, um, I guess how rigorous you have to take it. It's almost at a, at a point of, of change management, changing that psyche, uh, within the organization. Um, James, I might bring you in here. So we did initially start by talking about sort of the, the IT ecosystem. And obviously one area, um, of collaboration is with outside partners that, that um, organizations might use with their business. What are some of, I guess, the security um, considerations when, when looking to sort of share, um, uh, share information outside of your own organization? Do you have any um, observations on that and what you're seeing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's kind of, um, as, as kind of Rajan mentioned, we, we take two kind of approaches, which is what we're considering internally and what we're building in product to making sure that I think Rajan talked about in terms of visibility, making it easy to know who you're sharing, what you're sharing, you're giving them read or write access, can they add other people? And so kind of making it very visible from a user aspect, what's actually happening. And, and then I guess from an IT aspect, kind of knowing what's and what's going on. So being able to have that kind of audit log to know everything's happening. And then I guess that's where we get into the, the ecosystem part, right? The API has always been a huge one for us because as we kind of see the, the security kind of world um, kind of going through iterations, 
basically new things are coming out all the time and 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 we can't always keep up with and build that in product so the apis are really important part so as things like seam as things like um you know event monitoring all these things are coming out and normally a best agreed player kind of comes out in that and our view is that you're not just going to have dropbox right Mm-hmm. more and more cloud applications coming out all the time. So what we don't want to do is like spend all our time in security and that you have to do in Dropbox. And then when you have all your other cloud services, you need to replicate that across it. So our view is that, you know, once you actually have that, something like a CM or a CASB or something, it's our job to make sure we're actually working with the leading vendors. So you can say like, hey, if you want to use Splunk, great. It just plugs into Dropbox as an easy connector, right? So um, I think it gets focused a lot on the end user side of things, making it easy. But a big belief for us is IT admins are users too, right? And, and I used to be one, right? I'm lazy. And so <laughs> I make it easy for you to implement security. You know, there's going to be things where like, yeah, I'll do that, but I still have time to get to that. So making it easy for you to kind of integrate with whether it's like, you know, logarithm or Splunk or whatever, and, and, and being agnostic in that and kind of you setting that policy once, um, and have that apply to like all your cloud applications. And um, I think it kind of speaks to that kind of usability security thing we've kind of touched on a couple of times here. Yeah, brilliant. And um, I, th- I think this one's probably more for, for Rajan. This one comes from, from Michael. You, you mentioned the, um, the phishing exercises and they're, they're becoming more and more popular within organizations. Um, was there anything that surprised you when, when you ran those, uh, those campaigns internally, Rajan? Uh, I think what has honestly what's been surprising is um, how well our employees have responded to to the exercises. Mm. When we first launched them, we we knew that look we're we're going to have a lot of work to do here in training our employees, and we had run phishing education uh, for a long time, but we hadn't always tested it. So once we started testing it, we knew that there was um, uh, there was going to be you know areas that we had to to, to focus on. Um, but what, what has surprised me is that given the, um, kind of education and, uh, given like the resources, the correct resources to identify these phishing targets, how much employees care about protecting, uh, the company's data. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you can really, you know, I think very often you see IT or, or security organizations that, that feel unheard or, or, or feel as if they're, um, working with a base of employees who, who just, don't really care about security, but what I found is is the opposite is true. Is that if you make the right investments and you empower your uh, employees, um, they they can be some of your best sources of of strength and 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 defense against these attacks. Um, and we've been able to do things that you know really interesting things like um, identify higher risk uh, areas of our organization. Like our finance team is at risk for wire fraud, right? So we were able to tailor these phishing exercises to target not just all of our employees, but to, to really um, to, to, to really target them uh, at the use cases of different areas of the organization. And then we can go and work with those organizations to help them understand why they are at risk for a certain type of phishing email and, and what that looks like, and then continue to test them. Yeah, brilliant. No, it's so great. And, and I think, uh, you, you know, these fishing uh, exercises are definitely becoming, uh, uh, more and more popular within, uh, within the enterprise. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a provocative way of, 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 um, of raising the profile of security and, and building that culture. Um, James, I might bring you in here and just talk a little bit about, 
um, shadow IT. I mean, o- o- obviously, um, uh, with with more and more SaaS applications and, and things like that, shadow IT uh, is is becoming a, a bit of a challenge for for IT executives. W- what are your observations uh, around um, your approach to managing uh, shadow IT securely? Um, uh, obviously, you guys would be at the forefront of a lot of these discussions. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. Um, I mean, Shadow IT has been around now for I would say eight to ten years, and it's mm. it's funny depending on who you talk to, they either call it Shadow IT or the consumerization of IT. So you can <laughs> both ways, right? And some people are like, "This is great," you know. And for me, it's it's all about striking a balance, right? And I think what SaaS has done is made it really easy for people to kind of bring what they use at work uh, or use at home into work. And it's mean that they've got productivity gains, people are happier, you get more employee retention. And um, But obviously us in the security sphere need to kind of have a hole in that. So what what I've been working on companies to do is that leveraging, we're lucky with Dropbox, we have quite a good adoption, right? So um, when we're speaking to someone, it's like, okay, people are obviously using this. What's the end use case they want to use? They're not using Dropbox just to spike you, right? They're using it for some sort of need. So actually using that as a kind of, and a starting point to say, okay, why did they need to go to this service? What are we not offering that they're going to, they're kind of going there? And I think this is where it comes back to having that open kind of culture, right? So not slapping someone on the wrist when they adopt someone, because ultimately users, my, uh, my thing is they, they always find the, the least path of resistance, right? Mm. And so you need to make that least path of resistance you. So some of the things I've seen work really well is having like once a month, like, product days where you're like hey bring us stuff that you found your friends are using that you just found this new service and let's have a chat through and actually you know if it is something that they've found it and it warrants like a use case and have a chat and say okay how let's like roll it out for a couple of people see if it works if it doesn't you know great thanks for bringing it and um, but really encouraging people to do that and um, because the other way where you're saying like hey you need to strictly use this set of tools don't come to us with anything else there's only one thing that's inevitably going to happen. Um, so for me, I think it's good because it's actually, it's boosted piece of people's productivity and it's actually meant that um, it's kind of less than that divide between what's a business application and what's a consumer application because ultimately you're designing something for someone at the other end, so it shouldn't really matter. Yeah, brilliant, James. Uh, I like that, the, the piece around sort of liberating and, and then that's the... That's where the control will sit. Um, we've probably got time for one more question. I did I actually had a question around future ways of working. Um, uh, clearly, because, again, you guys are at the, the, the real pointy end um, of this environment. So I wanted to get both of your observations around what's a future way of working look like in terms of um, uh, digital enablement? Uh, and I guess what are the expectations of, of employees at the moment with, with regards to um, uh, uh, future ways of working? Yeah, James, why don't you kick it off, and I'll uh, I'll follow up after you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I've been I've been at too many conferences lately, and I keep hearing this thing that I think is that over sixty percent of workforce are going to be millennials by. <laughs> I actually am one of those millennials, <laughs> um, and apparently we're this new breed that need and want lots of things and are really petulant children. Um, so I mean. I think that's going to change, right? I mean, I think it's a good thing because we're actually saying like, hey, we're not going to buy tools just for the sake of buying tools. And we're going to buy tools that people actually want to use. And so for me, new ways of working is, for me, hard one for me is always work-life balance, right? I, I love surfing. I love going out on my motorbike, but I also need to do my job, right? So for me, that, that CIO handbook that has been around for ages, around anywhere, anytime, any device, 
that's kind of if you're not doing that now, you're you're a good bit behind the curve. So, and um, for me, it's actually having a more like customer centric kind of a approach. So that thing like the product meetings, like actually using your people. And there, I think the misperception for me is that your business is not your product; it's your people, right? And mm-hmm. so, I think really listening to your people, seeing what they want to do, where do they think they want to take your product, and actually really using that. So. Kind of using technology to kind of enable people and um, is something that I'm seeing like come up an awful lot. So um, I think having this more listening approach and, and just kind of having technology that kind of enables that rather than kind of putting in blockers, which is where I think we can, again, we come back to I think we like buy stuff that your people actually like using, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good point. Roger, did you have any, any observations on that? Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm definitely not a millennial. Uh, so I've been in the <laughs> A long time, and, and when I started out, IT uh, IT had a a monopoly on services. You you, you rolled out the service that you evaluated, and, and your, your users had to had to use it. That, that's no longer the case. Um, and so today, you know, you, you want to take the, the you, you want to take your security reviews and and find a way to reduce the time that it takes to evaluate and and approve or deny something, um, so that you can unblock your users and and allow them to move quickly. Um, and, and I think uh, trying to find a, uh, a way to embrace the um, kind of ingenuity and adaptability of your users and, and, and introduce that to your IT and security organizations as well is what's going to make you successful here. We are, we're in a new paradigm. It's, it is absolutely a, a new way of, of thinking about services um, and, and evaluating those services. And really, speed is the answer because, like James said, Every minute that an employee spends battling a service that you've given them to use and trying to figure out how to use it or, or, or just mm. fighting against it is a minute less of productivity and it's a minute less of time they have for themselves and their families. Uh, and, and so they're not being malicious when they do this. They really are just trying to get their work done as quickly and as effectively as possible for both the benefit of your organization as well as their, their, their personal um, lives. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's meeting them, you know, as much as you can halfway or maybe more than halfway, but still maintaining your security posture and not compromising on how, how, um, safe your, your organization's data is. Yeah, spot on guys. Um, we do, we have actually have one more question come through. It's a bit more of a technical one. So I'll probably throw it to, to James, um, and, and finish up on that one. So can an organization have a private encrypted network connection from their premises into Dropbox? as cloud provider for their corporate Dropbox environment? Yeah, so they can have an encrypted network connection. Um, in terms of private, um, that's where, because I, I see the rest of the question is around IP filtering yeah. and public network access. I think that, I mean, it's something that we're trying to do, like actually cloud, I mean, leverage the benefits of cloud, right? So that anywhere, anytime, any device. Um, so I think in terms of, and being able to, I would see it as an old school view of, of security. And we're trying to make sure that our infrastructure has like Rajan pointed to that we're investing a lot in that. And of course, the authentication methods um, need to be really strong, right? So yeah. 2FA, MFA. Um, and then I guess for us, all traffic's encrypted, right? Whether it's in transit, we only use um, HTTPS, whether that's kind of at rest in our infrastructure using AES 256-bit. And um, so I think I'd like to, and um, I think there's a, another need behind this because ultimately what you're going to care about is the data. So I, for us, it's securing at a data level rather than 
trying to and kind of have a private connection because that's probably not going to be as secure as if you actually did it at the data level. I don't know if you've got anything to add there, Rajan. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, to, to, to James' point, uh, you know, trying to filter traffic from a specific network um, really gets, it, it, it um, removes a lot of the advantages of a, of a cloud service provider. So what we've done is we've taken a, a device-specific approach instead of a network-specific approach where you can um, whitelist only certain devices to be able to access your corporate Dropbox uh, environment. Uh, and what that the benefit there is, you know, your your employees can continue to work flexibly um, and be mobile uh, while you still have while you have that confidence that um, only the devices that you have sanctioned and have approved and are managing are accessing your Dropbox data. So that that's the approach that we've taken. We've taken a device specific instead of network centric approach. Brilliant. And Craig, we might be able to connect you with the the Dropbox team um, locally to take it through because I think yeah, Jay. James um, uh, put forward a, a, an alternate strategy depending on sort of what your outcomes are. Um, guys, thank you so much for the questions that, that came through, as always, robust and specific and, and challenging the, uh, the speakers. And Rajan and James, thanks so much for, um, uh, for your participation this morning. And Rajan, we appreciate your time, uh, knowing that it's nearing the end of the day for you. So thank you very much, guys. Thanks very much, Matthew. Happy to be here. Big thanks to Rajan and James for their contributions on that one and uh, Dropbox Business for obviously driving some uh, interesting thought leadership around this space. And I think, you know, as as you sort of reflect on sort of where the questions were coming from the audience, um, there definitely is a bit of a challenge from enterprise in terms of uh, creating the right kind of awareness and the right blueprint um, for for execution. Um, So we'll look forward to obviously covering that off in greater detail. Uh, in in future events, guys. Thanks so much. As always, really appreciate it. If if you um if you got to the end, as as they say, um feel free to jump on strategynext.com.au. Um and this webinar is obviously there, and you can have a good listen to the to the entire piece as well. So thank you so much. <laughs>